Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Tonight on Revolt Black News Weekly. Sydney, how are you? Advocates in the Biden administration fight to free WNBA star Brittany Griner from a Russian prison. What about the advocacy for black Americans in custody for lesser charges? We have incarcerated so many, and particularly young men and young men of color, um, in a way that we have not for the same level of use. Other young men. We get into it. Then, what's at stake now that we know that there is a possible recession in the future? Everything's at stake. Inflation and food insecurities in these post-pandemic times. So why are black businesses in America taking such a big hit? We discuss it all. Plus... You ever, like, talked about this before? No. Remembering Hurricane Katrina, 17 years after the devastating storm, now the youngest survivors are reliving the trauma in a new documentary. Katrina is becoming a folktale, and we're the storytellers. And it's VMA's full steam ahead as Nicki Minaj reaches Vanguard status. All that and more as the Black News Revolution starts right now. Nicki Minaj gearing up to receive her VMA flowers. She's scheduled to perform along with Lizzo. That stage is going to be lit. Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm Kennedy Rue, and I'll have all the VMA's red carpet coverage. And I'm guest host Rochelle Ritchie. That is a red carpet we're not going to miss. But first, we begin with Brittany Griner as she sits behind bars serving a nine and a half year prison sentence in Russia for possession of a vape cartridge. Here at home, there's a debate on whether we should be giving this much attention to BG because after all, she broke the law and may have been playing this game of Russian roulette with her vape cartridges for quite some time and now it's finally caught up to her. Additionally, some of you all say her case has exposed the lack of concern for black Americans incarcerated right here on petty drug charges every single day. Now, those folks sit in jail awaiting trial because they don't have the money to post bail, nor the highest office in the nation, the White House, coming to their defense. Where is the outrage for the men and women on lockdown with little to no advocacy? That is tonight's top story. I made an honest mistake, and I hope that in your ruling that it doesn't end my life here. Brittany Griner's sentencing of more than nine years in a Russian prison for possession of less than a gram of THC was condemned by President Joe Biden, who issued this statement saying, quote, American citizen Brittany Griner received a prison sentence that is one more reminder of what the world already knew. Russia is wrongfully detaining Brittany. It's unacceptable, and I call on Russia to release her immediately. The amount that she was uh, convicted on you know, it doesn't necessarily match the census. The same thing goes for people here in the United States. To date, 38 states have legalized medical marijuana, with 19 of those legalizing the drug for recreational use. But in those states that haven't, people caught in possession could face harsh penalties. A life sentence for a man convicted of a marijuana possession charge because of previous charges. Case in point, Alan Russell, sentenced to life in Mississippi for possessing just 44 grams of marijuana, the maximum penalty mandated as a result of his previous conviction for robbery and gun possession. This punishing of people that are using marijuana in a world that is moving towards legalization of it, it's deplorable. 
And in 2018, Patrick Beadle was sentenced to eight years in prison, also in Mississippi, for possessing under three pounds of marijuana, which he bought legally with a prescription in Oregon to treat chronic pain. You can go into other states and commit a crime by something that is legal in other states. Then there's Derek Harris, a Louisiana native and military veteran who was sentenced to life in prison for selling less than $30 worth of marijuana in 2008. Derek was freed in 2020 after spending a decade behind bars. We have incarcerated so many, and particularly young men and young men of color, um, in a way that we have not for the same level of use other young men. Although black and white Americans use marijuana at comparable rates, black people account for 39% of all marijuana possession arrests, despite being just 12% of the population. There is a huge overcrowding issue in many prisons across the country, and maybe this is a way to um, unburden some of those prisons if maybe you relax some of the sentence around people that have been convicted for marijuana. Here to join me for more on Brittany Griner's case and the criminalization of marijuana in the U.S. are retired WNBA star Dr. Chantel Trimeteer, political activist Oliver Mack, and former WNBA all-star Angel McCautry. Thank you all for being here. So, Oliver, I'm going to start with you. In your opinion, is Brittany's punishment excessive? Yeah, I actually do think her punishment is excessive, but I mean, that's Russia. Russia has its own laws. Russia has its own way of doing things. And unfortunately, who are we to criticize the way that they do things in their country? If you're going over to their country to play basketball or do business in, of any kind, then you should know exactly what their laws are and what their punishments are for breaking those laws. And Angel, when you hear what Oliver has to say, that's sort of been, you know, some of the things that people are saying on social media. What are your thoughts when you hear that those sort of comments? Yeah, I disagree. I, I think that, you know, a lot of people have never been to Russia. We've been in out those borders for many years. They know who we are. Um, I just feel like the, the punishment is very cruel. Even people, our friends in Russia believe it's a political kind of issue. So I don't think they've talked to people over there or know what's really going on deep inside. I think it's harsh. Yeah, should she probably not have the weeping? Probably not, but not nine yeah, years for that. Maybe a slap on the wrist or extradite her home. Yeah, I studied abroad in Russia, and I can tell you I was very, very intimidated while over there. Chantel, um, there, you know, while people are fighting to get Britney home, obviously, are we missing the mark for men and women behind bars that are facing minor cannabis-related crimes? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't think it's a a men or a women. I, I just think it's both. And, you know, I, I just want to go off of what Angel just said. There's one person over there that, that had 14 times the amount of, of cannabis that Brittany had. He's doing 14 years and she's doing nine for 14 times less. And so, yeah. Is it excessive? Yes. Did she break the law? Yes. She admitted it, period. Um, but it's excessive. And, and I think whether it's a, a man, a woman, a celebrity, a non-celebrity, whoever, if it's an American, we, we got to try and get them home. Yeah, she's certainly been called a political activist, and the man that you're speaking about is a, a teacher by the name of Mark Fogel, who his family is upset that uh, he's not being included in this attempt to get Brittany and Paul Whelan back here. Now, uh, Oliver, bringing you back into this conversation, when you have a former president... Donald Trump. He was on a podcast and he basically said that Brittany Griner was spoiled and that she went over there loaded with drugs. Those are his words, not mine. 
How dangerous is that kind of exaggerated narrative, especially for black Americans? How much does that hurt her potential for freedom? Um, I mean, I think Donald Trump, sometimes he, he exaggerates some things, but, um, you know, let's be honest here. We, we do have someone who admitted that she committed a crime. She pled guilty to that crime. So in, when we have somebody who does plead guilty, then we do have to expect that that person understands that there are consequences to, to those crimes. I mean, trying to get her home, I mean, that's something that we could do. Yeah, she could be extradited to the United States, but she also understands that, you know, she did do something wrong. And I mean, this is some a person that is begging to come home to a country that she actually says, you know, she didn't want to be a part of. She, she protested against this country and now is begging the country to help her out. I mean, I think that's a lot of, of the, the, the thought process for a lot of conservatives who believe that, you know, hey, you want you wanted to be a, a, away from this country, you wanted to protest our national anthem, but now you want this country to save you? I've protested the national anthem, and I've won two gold medals for this country as well as Brittany. That doesn't mean we don't want to be a part of the country. That just means we want our equal rights, just like everybody else. So I'm really kind of shocked at that statement. So what are we talking about here? You always exaggerating against the black person, the black athlete. Yeah, was she wrong? But but everything is excessive. If you know Brittany, she gives back to her community. She has she has an amazing personality. She's always giving herself to people. So that's what we need to remember. You know, what Brittany had was prescribed to her by a doctor. So it wasn't about being loaded and loaded. Right. It was about, you know what? I'm just thinking, you know, this is prescribed. I'm taking it with me, boom, and go. And but but to say one that she's spoiled, you know, highly exaggerated. Um, to say she was loaded, highly exaggerated. And I have to agree again with what Angel said, you know, protesting the national anthem, that um, speaking is, is what has divided this country anyways. It's not about her not loving the country. She never said, I don't love this country. She's protesting a flag whose meaning, literal meaning is freedom. Who needs an alarm in the morning? When McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles. And a breakfast cutoff. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Represents the country. The flag that represents the country also represents freedom of speech. And so in her freedom of speech, she's also allowed the freedom to protest. That's not saying she does not love the country. That just says she doesn't agree with how it's being run and how certain things are handled. There are other cases out there right here in the United States where you have black people that are incarcerated right now. I think about the guy in Mississippi. Uh, he was sentenced to life in prison for 1.5 grams of marijuana. The Mississippi Court of Appeals upheld his conviction. So why do you think Brittany Griner's case is getting so much more attention? I mean, they're calling her a political prisoner. They're calling her a hostage in Russia. When you have so many people in the United States that are locked up for marijuana and Kamala Harris, uh, when she was a DA, she was actually responsible for locking up a lot of people in California for marijuana. And Joe Biden, he could care less about Brittany Griner or any other black person. I think all this is, is just a political ploy. They're trying to gain support for their proxy war with Russia. Well, if that is the case, it's certainly not fair to Brittany and her family and obviously her friends and supporters. I want to thank you all for joining us. Chantel, Angel, Oliver, thank you so much. Now, coming up, some say black businesses in America are taking the biggest inflation hits. Is that so? And how can we support? That's next.
Welcome back. Tonight we're investigating the plight of black business ownership as many entrepreneurs are impacted by inflation and trying to survive in these tough economic times. I wanted to create something that operated where there is space and opportunity again. Space for black entrepreneurs, space for just black people, black families to be profitable, to thrive, and to operate in the highest level of excellence. Dr. Lakeisha Hallman founded The Village Market, located at the bustling Pont City Market in Atlanta to showcase black-owned businesses. Black businesses need an opportunity to be positioned for growth and excellence and sustainability. But in Atlanta, black businesses are struggling to grow, with yearly revenue averaging under $50,000 compared to $700,000 for non-black-owned businesses. It is almost impossible to generate generational wealth if, if there are no access to capital, if we cannot begin to retell this story of what it means to buy and build black. The village market is all those things. The disparity exists nationally, according to a study by the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. Between February and April of 2020, black business owners fell by 41% compared to 17% of white business owners. And now inflation threatens to widen that divide. It's not just money that we're absent of. Sometimes the barrier is resources and, and the answer to how. While inflation is challenging, there is the determination to succeed. Black business owners are posting more signs like these to drive customers to support the growing national Buy Black movement. When you have a business, it's a sense of pride. It's a really amazing thing, actually, to, to be able to see that, you know, people are taking initiatives to want to support businesses. We're showing people that you can be a Black-owned business and still be successful and still thrive. Slutty vegan founder Pinky Cole found a way to keep the lines growing at her restaurant during the pandemic. I stopped down on my business for two weeks. I assessed the operation. I paid my employees during that time and we put a plan in place. Pinky caters to her loyal and growing customer base in Georgia and Alabama by not only providing healthy meal options, but also by giving back to young entrepreneurs. I have partnered with Varro Bank to provide every single graduate in this audience with a new LLC and a path to entrepreneurship. Pinky's gift to the entire graduating class of 2022 at Clark Atlanta University, her alma mater, could inspire a new generation of black business owners to do the same and help close the wealth gap between black and white. People believe that this is a true path to generational wealth. You know, this is no gimmick. I really want people to win through entrepreneurship. That's how I've been able to win and grow my business in four years. And if I can do it, everybody can do it. Here to join me for more on this looming recession and the critical response needed to help our nation's economy are Don Calloway, founder of the Voter Protection Action Fund, political activist Jericho Green, and entrepreneur and government consultant Ebony Kareem. Thank you all for joining us. Don, I'm going to start with you. It's difficult for any business to survive, but for black businesses, it's even harder. What's at stake now that we know that there is a possible recession in the future? Everything's at stake. I think that you first have to remember that black businesses, more so than our white counterparts, small black businesses are more than likely tied to the financial immediacy of the small black family or families who run them. What that means from a governmental perspective is that the actions that the Biden administration takes or state legislatures take to provide not only access to capital, but to open up access to things like negotiating for Medicare prices, uh, like we saw with the Inflation Reduction Act, 
or student loan relief. Those things matter to black families and they matter to their black businesses because often those accounts, those cash flows are one and the same. So we hope that the Biden administration continues to kick in its economic stimulus provisions over the next several weeks. Those things that they do will have a tremendous and outsized impact on black owned businesses because you cannot sever the black family owned business from the black family and their their immediate economic fortunes. So there's a huge amount at stake as we move not only into the midterms, but in the administration's actions leading up to the elections. Jericho, I want to ask you this question. Obviously, you know, a lot of analysts are predicting that this recession is coming and black businesses are going to be hurt the most. How do black business owners prepare themselves for a recession? Save. The fact that we see the writing on the wall and we know it's coming and it's not going to surprise us, we need to start saving. That's the only way. And again, I wish we could rely on the federal government. I wish they, they would be our safety net, but they just aren't. But I think I would be remiss if I didn't mention that Three short years ago, black businesses were up 400% and we were getting billions of dollars poured into these black businesses. But the administration we have now, they will do absolutely nothing. We shouldn't look to, them, look to them to do anything. We shouldn't be relying on government, but that also does not absolve federal government of doing what it should do to not only protect black businesses, but to create a safety net so that no small businesses are left behind. When the country catches the cold, black folks catch the flu. And so we have to understand that vulnerable communities who were not set up to win economically at the beginning are even more susceptible to economic downturns. Governments are responsible for making sure that women-owned businesses, small-owned businesses, minority-owned businesses are able to play at equal footing. That doesn't say that we're not responsible for taking care of our own communities, because we certainly are, but we can, we're smart and we're grown up enough to understand that all these things can coexist at one time. Uh, Ebony, there's no doubt that there is a rise of entrepreneurs, but this isn't helping the wealth gap. I mean, when you look at the numbers, black wealth net worth, 17,000, white net worth, 171,000. Black people know how to hustle in this country, right? We know how to start businesses, but when it comes to growing a sustainable business, which should be the goal to scale, what are some of the roadblocks that we are facing? I think the plight of the small black business owner is, is kind of twofold, right? So during uh, the onset of the COVID pan pandemic, we saw a huge increase in, in Black small business ownership, especially with Black-owned women firms. Um, but again, we run into some of the same issues, right? Some of those top issues um, involve access to capital, right? So whether you want to start, grow, or scale your business, there's always a huge um, deficiency when it comes to that. Um, access to crowdfunding, access to um, government funding, again, like, like the brother mentioned below, uh, the CARES Act, which was started back in March of 2020, a, a huge portion of us um, got declined for those loans, primarily because most Black-owned small businesses are not employer-owned, right? We are sole proprietorship, so we're either, you know, LLC, so we don't qualify for a lot of that. So I think on both ends, we've seen some huge trends, um, huge numbers in, in terms of new black businesses, but the longevity still isn't there. All right, thank you all for joining us. Switching to the headlines beyond our borders, it's time to go black all over the world. We begin in Sudan, where the climate crisis is hitting hard. The rainy season is underway and has caused deadly floods, leaving many homeless. And sadly, a rising death toll of nearly 100 people. 
The country is not new to these conditions, and the United Nations Humanitarian Affairs Office says the number of people impacted has doubled this season compared to previous years. The devastation is quickly getting attention as countries, including the United States and Saudi Arabia, have sent aid to help. In these days, we are facing devastating flows in more than one city in Sudan. Sudan has officially declared a state of emergency in six of its 18 states. This as the rain continues. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. News. We don't need more speeches. We don't need more dead letters. We just need actions. Climate justice. Next, we head to the UK and South London as we follow up on the missing black woman, Awami Davis. Police released the wrong image of the 24-year-old, which apparently held up the search that sent social media and loved ones into an uproar. While Davis was found safe, this case does draw attention to what some say is a lackluster effort when it comes to the search for missing black women. I'd like to say that uh, she's been found safe and well outside of the London area. Last stop, we arrive in Jamaica. Bolted and branded for business, eight-time Olympic gold medalist Usain Bolt, who still holds the world record for the fastest man in history, is attempting to seal his deal. Bolt applied for a trademark application to protect his signature victory pose. Bolt plans to build his brand, which will be used on clothing, jewelry, and businesses. We'll continue to stay on top of these stories. Keep it right here. There's much more ahead. But first, an in-the-system update on a case we've been following. Justice for Kobe. This week, Vanessa Bryant, Kobe's widow, was awarded $16 million in damages over Kobe's helicopter crash site photos that were taken by first responders on the scene in 2020. The verdict was handed down after the 11-day civil suit against various L.A. County agencies. Fetty Wap pleads guilty to drug conspiracy charges. Six people, including rapper Fetty Wap, have been indicted on federal charges. Fetty Wap pled guilty to drug conspiracy charges earlier this week in a Long Island, New York federal courtroom. This indictment is part of a nationwide drug trafficking sweep. I'm her, 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 she, she, she. That is Megan the Stallion giving us rhythm and beats with the music video for her, which is off her new album. The Twitter sphere is already all over her three VMA nominations. Welcome back, everyone. Time to run down the latest entertainment headlines, including P Valley star Lil Murda in the house, topping off the remix. You know that I am a huge fan of yours. I think you are the next Denzel. Thank you. Thank you, Rochelle. I really appreciate that. That's that's a, a huge compliment. Our P-Valley fan, Rochelle, saluting the star series standout actor, Jay Alphonse Nicholson, for his impressive work as tortured rapper, Little Murda. How do you play this role of Little Murder? I mean, he's obviously um, a maybe a bisexual man. How do you play that role with such confidence? I approach it just like any other character. And 
wanting him to be as honest as possible. Little Murder from any other roles I've played is that the purpose and the weight that he holds is a lot larger than some of the other things I've done. I'm playing a character that we've never seen. Sorry. No, you're good. Kennedy gets an extra minute, whether you like it or not. <laughs> My niece. You, All right, man. I got you. So after Kevin Hart finished his business, I got the real story about his new bromance with Mark Wahlberg. The two play besties in their Netflix buddy comedy, Me Time, streaming Friday. You look good. Hey, whoa. Hey, guys, say hi to my oldest friend in the world. Yeah, you, you want a towel? No, I'm good. OK. How close are you in real life, or did the movie help to kind of solidify your relationship more? That's a great question. We've been friendly for a while, but I couldn't get him to, to do any movies right. with me until <laughs> until right. this one came. He's Same. been to my home. He's never invited me to his house. But we don't need to get into the bells and whistles of it, okay? It seems uh, like a little tension. Well, there's no tension, no. but I think what he's trying to say is, of course, we've known each other. I want to be close. Acquaintances, yeah. but the movie definitely... How many times I got to see him and Dwayne Johnson together? All right. I know. Okay. I know. This is ridiculous. That. There's a mutual respect. There's a real bond here. There's a bond between the old K-ster K and the Markster. <laughs> <laughs> Is that your guys' name? Yeah, that's what we call I each like other. That. I like hey, Monster, that. Monster, hey, Kester. They gave me the Golden Globe. They weren't no campaigning with that. So I was like, oh, ain't that supposed to hide? But, you know, I know it's a whole different ball game with the Oscars. Get the blonde. Get the lights! What do I need to do to get the attention that I need right now? Early Oscar buzz has begun for John Boyega's heartbreaking transformation into a desperate Marine vet suffering from mental illness in Breaking in Theaters Friday. Got the FBI, the GBI, everybody here. I'm sorry. In 2017, Brian Brown easily made headlines for holding up a Georgia bank claiming to have a bomb while pleading for missing benefit payments. His family applauds John's riveting performance. His ex-wife, she loves what I, I, I did with it and how he would have been quite proud to, to see that somebody from Star Wars was doing it, you know, because he was a sci-fi, sci-fi nerd, was playing him in a movie. Um, but also after that, Brian's main thing was about being heard. Brian's main thing was about people understanding his position and, and where he was coming from. I think this film is in direct connection to that to that legacy. Party with us at this year's MTV Video Music Awards. It's a triple threat as Nicki Minaj, Jack Harlow, and the one and only LL Cool J host the MTV VMAs. Mind-blowing live performances by Lizzo. Lizzo will hit the stage, Kendrick Lamar, and Lil Nas X among the top nominees Sunday night. Once I started to learn how to love Ryan first, then it's like, okay, I understand it. It's... I can bring someone into this now. So now you can start to see where you can have a healthy relationship. I've allowed for the wrong people to be around me. I've allowed for the wrong people to take from me. Black Ink Crew Chicago's Ryan Henry, ready for love and on a personal evolution this season. An all new episode with the Nine Mag Crew airs Tuesday. I don't ever want it to get to a point to where as though we hate each other. So I would rather lose my husband than to lose my best friend. It's about to become crazy. We have to come to some type of agreement. And the post-breakup drama continues on Waka and Tammy, What the Flocka, airing Thursdays on WeTV. DJ Khaled! DJ Khaled's single, Stayin' Alive with Drake and Little Baby, is just one of the collaborations featured on his 13th album, God Did, dropping Friday.
Hurricane Katrina caused one of the biggest disbursements of black people in history. After losing so much, why wouldn't anyone ask if we were okay? Nobody ever asked the children how they were doing. That is the trailer for the new HBO documentary film, Katrina Babies, which reveals the mental and physical impact that deadly 2005 storm had on the young people in its path. Now, August 29th will mark the 17th anniversary of that force of Mother Nature, which claimed close to 2,000 lives and ripped apart black communities and families in New Orleans and along the Gulf region. Here to join us now is director, producer, filmmaker, Edward Buckles. He is the man behind the documentary, and he is here to talk about this project. Welcome to the show, Edward. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm, I'm super honored to be here. Yeah, we're super excited to have you. I screened it last night, and it's a wonderful documentary. I mean, it's been 17 years, obviously, since Hurricane Katrina hit. Why was it important for you to bring the trauma of Katrina babies to light? You know, it... it it was really important to me just because of the fact that I was 13 years old during the storm, right? And I experienced the storm at a very uh, precious, precious time in my life. And growing up in a post-Katrina New Orleans and seeing how uh, the uh, traumas of Katrina surfaced throughout my upbringing, uh, I think that once I met filmmaking and once I met storytelling, it was just a no-brainer, you know? Um, I obviously wanted to draw parallels between what I had experienced and what my generation had experienced and, you know, just that, that that current state of the youth. And I wanted to draw parallels between that and what happened in 2005. So I think that this project has taught me how to name my trauma and name our trauma in New Orleans. So that's helped me to, you know, fight. And that's helped me to, you know, seek healing and wellness. A lot of emotional and heartbreaking stories. One that really stood out to me was obviously the woman that was diagnosed with cancer after staying in the yeah. FEMA trailers. Do you feel like the government has taken any sort of accountability for their actions? Well, you know, the Maris um, who, who, who was stayed in a trailer that, that was filled with um, poison, you know, when I first interviewed her, I asked her, you know, if she wanted me to try to reach out to FEMA or like, you know, try to get her a lawyer for like any like legal actions, whatever. And like, she, and, and like she said, no, she said, no, I don't want any of that. That's not going to bring my health back. That's not going to change the fact that, you know, I've, I've dealt with over three different cancers. Like it's not going to change anything. All I want is a public apology. All I want is somebody to you know, be held accountable. And, you know, to answer your question, no, I don't think that anyone has stepped up. How frustrating was it for you to see that so many of you all were sort of abandoned? Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. Mentally, you know, your emotions and everything. Nobody reached out to ask if you're okay or to even offer any help. And I feel like that is something that happens a lot with our black youth. How frustrating was that to see that sort of happen as you were telling these stories? Yeah, you know, like, um, I, I always, um, Take this quote that you know Andre 3000 said, and it's like black and brown people suffer the most all over the world. Why, you know? And you know, I think that it was very frustrating. I think that at the time, I didn't realize that it was it was you know about racism and resource allocation. But I think that you know, as I look back on it, and I think that you know, as I as I 
as I made this film and I like, found answers, right? And didn't find answers, it showed me like, you know, just like the lack of care and empathy towards myself and my community. When you watch that archival footage of like, you know, black people um, stuck in the streets, literally dead and alive for weeks. There was also part of the documentary where uh, one of the interviewees was talking about how black people were called refugees. How do you wrap your head yes around that sort of label when you're in your own country? Yeah, believe it or not, um, people still don't understand um, how dangerous that term is. Like, you know, when talking about Hurricane Katrina, people are still using that term refugees. I read an article a few days ago and it was a beautiful article, but they still are saying refugees on calls. You know, people are still saying refugees. And it's like, by definition, if you just go to Webster and like open up a dictionary, Google is your best friend. By definition, we are not refugees. We are American, right? So I think that again, if, 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 if we flip that statement, right? It'll put it back on them because it's like, we weren't refugees. Y'all were just treating us like we weren't Americans. Well, Edward, we certainly appreciate you for bringing this story to light and taking us through this very emotional documentary. Katrina Babies is now airing on HBO and streaming on HBO Max. Make sure you check it out. Stay with us. There's more Revolt Black News Weekly straight ahead. My, my daughter, my real daughter, actually auditioned for this role, and I remember, oh, wow. yeah, she did it. Welcome back. So we're having an open conversation about nepotism and the black community. It's a practice we see happen in other cultures all the time. But for some reason with our own, there's a debate as to whether it is good for black business. So is it or is it not? Both sides are here to debate and weigh in. So here with us today, serial entrepreneur Seven Buffins and financial revolutionary The Wall Street Trapper. Thank you both for being here. Now, before we get into this conversation, let's first define for our audience what nepotism is. So nepotism is the practice among those with power or influence of favoring relatives or friends, especially by giving them jobs. So Seven, I want to start with you. Listen to that definition. Why do you think some people view nepotism negatively? Normally your friends and your families are your first no's. You get excited, you tell them your dreams, your visions, and they start talks like speaking doubt into you or they give you that, uh. Or you offer them the opportunity, you tell them, you try to sell them your product and they're normally your very first no's and strangers are the first people that support you so then once you get into this habit of the strangers first and your family later on because maybe they doubted you at first or maybe they have to wait until you're successful to be able to support you. So then it's kind of like that's your very first disappointment. So a lot of people are so used to that that they're kind of like, okay, well, if I'm so used to them being my first disappointment, if I'm so used to them being my first no, then why would I give them my very first opportunity? Like, why would I go ahead and open up that door for them if I've already felt that that sense of doubt. And then I think the other thing is that if you're my friend or family member and I bring you through this door, people automatically have the negative thinking of what if they mess it up or oh my God, this my name or oh, I'm gonna be so embarrassed if they, instead of thinking of the positive traits that that person could possibly and bring. Some and some people trap think about like, okay, if I hire my family or friends, um, they're gonna take advantage of me. What are your thoughts on nepotism? Do you support it? So I'm all for it simply because if we look at wealth creation in America, it has always been centered around nepotism. So if we look at the Rockschilds, we look at the Rockefellers, we look at all of these successful families, even now we look at Chick-fil-A, 
right? It's a family-orientated business. And so what happens is because our culture is always on the other side, right? So we're always the ones working a job and saying, oh, he put his family on, even though I'm a hard worker. Or they put their family on, they put their cousin on. They didn't earn that spot. Well, that's what happens with nepotism, right? So what happens is you groom family to be able to take over this business, right? And I understand that you're a hard worker. You can have a great position in this business, but ownership aspects and ownership privilege goes to family, right? And so in doing that, you already have a vision that says, you're like, my cousin can work here. My sister can work here. But now we have to groom them with the skill set. So you can have the position, but your ownership and influence is only dictated by the skill set that you learn. So when we, like, we've all heard this statement, right? Get it out the mud. Mm. You know what I mean? And people boast about getting it out the mud. They boast about the struggle. There's this sort of expectation that we, as black people, are supposed to struggle to earn, you know, that our wealth. Where do you think that ideology comes from? I'll ask you first, Seven. It comes from generations before us, and you know, you're always talked about being hardworking and earning things, and honestly, in the in the black families, like if you think about it, it's kind of like at 18, it's like a lot of families be like, let me kick you out, you gotta go ahead and get a job. And now you gotta own your own things and now you have to do this and it's kind of like we get the opportunity to change that because that's where it comes from within the family of everybody has to struggle, everybody has to get it out the mud, you gotta make it on your own and then you start kind of, we pick it up to where we start bragging on it. So we don't wanna help other people because we like, well I got it out the mud. I came from nothing. It's kind of like when people did the whole thing with Kylie Jenner, when they said, oh, well, she's not self-made because of this. And they wanted her to really get it out the mud. But she was placed in position from her family's name, and now she's doing the hard work. So I think it comes from the family saying, hey, you, you got to work hard. You have to do this. You, you have to struggle. And so then it's kind of like the backlash of that is that we get older and we want other people to do the I exact same thing. I don't know why thing. we love to struggle so much. Struggle in business, struggle in love, everything. So let me just backtrack for a second because you're talking to somebody who's homeless before, mm. right? Like that is a financial trauma that, that you have to like overcome, right? And so when I think about getting out the mud, just to hit that right quick, is because it is, we have been socially engineered right, as a culture to have a bravado about starting from nothing. Uh, like, we've been engineered to be braggadocious about that, right? So that hurts us. But then we talk about nepotism is me actually now saying, because I was homeless before, I never want my daughter to experience that. Yeah. So now let me build that bridge, right? So now when she, when she walks through life, my ceiling is now her floor. And then making her learn the skill sets. So how many times have we said, I wish somebody would have taught me that when I was young. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, now that I'm an adult and a parent, let me teach them that. Instead of me giving her the things I didn't have, which is materialistic, let me give her skill sets. Let me give her knowledge. Let me give her information that is now the fertilizer to her wealth. And yeah. now that becomes an ongoing process. And just because I've started it, I've now changed the entire dynamics of my family. Okay, so Seven, we see families like the Smiths, the Wayans, the Knowles, all, you know, benefiting from nepotism. How are you using nepotism in your own business now? You see what you mentioned first is the last name, right? <laughs> um, so I'm really big on building a legacy of my last name, which mm. is from me and my wife, which is Buffins. Um, and uh, it'll go on for generations and generations and generations. Um, so I do have a son. His name is Parker. Um, and I have a son on the way. Uh, me and my wife do. His name is Peyton. And we're manifesting a daughter. Her name is Phoenix, so we started an athleisure brand, which is called Parker by Peyton, which we'll pass on to our son. And for our daughter, Phoenix, we put her in there as well, but also within our gyms, within our other businesses, 
our families work in these businesses, so you don't have to go somewhere else and get paid minimum wage. Well, Trap7, I want to thank both of you all for joining us on Revolt Black News Weekly. I know our audience got a lot, a lot out of there. When we come back, our Revolutionary of the Week, that's straight ahead. Now, before we go, we are shining a light on someone stepping out and making a mark on Black America. This week, we lift up a finance expert who is doing her work to raise awareness about financial health. Her actions about course correcting credit bureaus and treatment of Black people is what makes her our Revolutionary of the Week. My name is Shonda Martin, and I'm owner of Roll to 750, which is essentially the largest credit education group on Facebook. It's the digital platform driving hundreds to get their cash right on the back end. Oh, financial freedom is 100% the real luxury. Shonda saw a need in the community beyond the flossing that goes on on social media. Anyone can show you a Mercedes, but can they show you a great interest rate on that Mercedes? Or are they paying three and four times what the Mercedes is actually worth? Because that's not a flex to me. If you are going to finance a vehicle or other materialistic things online, there's a way to do it responsibly while building your credit, like making a purchase on a credit card, but making sure you pay that immediately off. Getting dozens on the path of financial freedom came out of extraordinary circumstances, but now there is a community pushing the movement forward. The job that I was working at the time, we would get in trouble because we would be talking in between calls. I'm trying to teach them about credit. And so that prompted me to go home and start a Facebook group just for my coworkers and close family and friends. I added 20 people. Since then, I have not had to actually add anyone everyone else has requested to join the group because of the knowledge that's packed inside um, our Facebook group. It's over 400,000 members now. It's, it's honestly insane. After helping hundreds get on board to build credit and get out of debt, her next mission, helping members of her Facebook group get their first home. I've been honored and had the pleasure to working with over 700 individuals to actually close on a home. Um, they came to me with not so great credit scores. I worked with them and taught them the proper tools and they were, you know, they ended up being able to close on their home. And this is only the beginning of Shonda's financial freedom mission. Seeing so many black people being able to purchase homes and getting loans to start businesses that's where I feel my impact is most. Generational wealth, in my opinion, starts with a great credit score. Shout out, Shonda Martin. Thank you for all the work you're doing. Absolutely. That does it for us. We'll see you next time. Bye. stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada -ba -ba -ba. At participating McDonald's.